Hey there. <laughs> For a second, I thought my internet wasn't going to work. Yay, it worked. Oh, I am so happy to be with you on this day of the equinox. We're blessing each other. And so let's tune right in to the power and the presence of God and open our hearts and minds to the infinite intelligence leading us and guiding us. So grateful, so grateful. Hmm. Taking this breath of love and gratitude, we declare, I am that I am. And I am one with the infinite power and presence. So grateful and so thankful to recognize the wholeness and the holiness of each one. We partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self to remember our true identity and the name and the nature of love. We are grateful. We are grateful and thankful to open ourselves to the highest possibility of love, the highest possibility of healing. We call upon the company of heaven and our ancestors. We call upon all that is holy. Opening ourselves to the unprecedented, the unlimited, the joy, the wholeness, the freedom, the peace, the harmony. Activating our awareness to remember the truth that sets us free. We give thanks for all of our teachers, known and unknown, felt and not felt, seen and not seen, recognized and not recognized, heard and not heard. We open ourselves to receive all the gifts that are ours to receive. Right now in this holy instant. We share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. In grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. I'm going to share a prayer from Aurelia Louise Jones' book, The Ascension Flame of Purification and Immortality. It's a booklet, really. And if anyone is ever interested in the Ascension Ceremony, we can talk about that. So this prayer is on page 57 in that booklet. It's called The Time Is Now. The time is now to turn on the light of my divinity. I now open my heart. I open myself to the river of love that lies within my heart. Let love flow endlessly. I now open myself to the river of life that lies within my heart. Let life flow endlessly. I now open myself to the river of light that lies within my heart. Let light flow endlessly. 
I now open myself to the river of peace that lies within my heart. Let peace flow endlessly. I now open myself to the river of joy that lies within my heart. Let joy flow endlessly. I now open myself to the river of abundance that lies within my heart. Let abundance flow endlessly, ready to project infinite grace and gifts upon my daily life now and forever. I now open myself to the river of violet flame that purifies me through my ascension. Here, O universe, I am grateful. And then on page 56, Flood the Earth with the Radiant Ascension Flame is the name of the invocation. In the name of the victorious presence of God I am, I call to the Masters of Light from the entire spirit of the Great White Brotherhood, Beloved Goddess of Purity, Beloved Serapis Bay, and the Brotherhood of the Ascension Flame at Luxor and Talos, Beloved Queen of Light and Beloved Angels of the Radiant Ascension Flame. Flood every particle of life on earth with oceans and oceans of violet fire and ascension flame. Purify, illumine, and raise the consciousness of all life and all kingdoms evolving here. Let thy flame blaze, illumine, and expand like the light of a thousand suns. Purify our minds, memories, and feeling world from all blockages and negativity. Purify our bodies from all diseases and weaknesses. Flood our world with the pure snow-white radiance of the ascension flame purity. Saturate and purify until we become crystal clear transforming all we contact with the radiant light of the ascension flame. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Flood and saturate the earth with oceans of violet flame. Flood the earth with the radiance of the ascension fire. Cut us free to be with thee in the realms of eternal freedom and infinite perfection now and forever. And so be it, beloved I am, beloved I am, beloved I am. Hmm. Yes. Resting in this beautiful energy. I would like to share uh, something from the book we read earlier in the year, uh, Joel Goldsmith's 
spiritual journey. And uh, this is from page 57, where he says, well, it says about Joel. It says, Joel had ample opportunity to prove. Oh, I'm going to back up just a, a bit. where it says, thought is not power in this age when so many teachings are dedicated to that very idea. Isn't thought power? Isn't thought all power? Doesn't thought govern? It took days and days of meditation, days and days of pondering to learn whether he was being deceived from inside or whether something of an important nature was coming through to him. But Joel had ample opportunity to prove how ineffectual thought can be. He learned that thought might serve to lift a person to a place of stillness. But he knew that when a person is up against a really serious problem, there is not a thought anywhere that will really help. Only the realization of God can bring harmony into such a situation. It is not the form of prayer that brings the miracle of grace that appears as healing. It is not the truth that a person knows. It is the spirit that becomes active in consciousness. If it is active... It will raise up edifices. It will raise up dead bodies. Jesus said, If you destroy this body in three days, I, this Christ, will raise it up again. And uh, in unveiled mysteries on page 39 we have Master Saint Germain saying thought is the only thing in the universe that can create vibration and through vibration you qualify this ever flowing energy with whatever you desire to have manifest in your life and world this limitless, intelligent, radiant energy is flowing ceaselessly through your nervous system and it is the eternal life and vitality in the bloodstream coursing through your veins. And then a little bit later on page 39, towards the bottom he said, says, the light from within one's own God flame is the criterion the standard of perfection by which all thoughts and feelings that reach us through the five senses should be tested. No one can keep his thoughts and feelings qualified with perfection unless he goes to the source of perfection. For that quality and perfection only abides within the God flame. This is the individual's need for meditation upon and communion with the light of God within himself. 
pure life essence will not only give and sustain eternal youth and beauty in the body, but will enable you to maintain perfect balance between your God self and the outer or personal self. In fact, this pure life energy is the power which the outer self uses to hold its connection with its divine source, the God self. In reality, these two are one, except when the intellect or outer activity of the mind, the sense consciousness, accepts imperfection, in harmony, incompleteness, or thinks itself a creation apart from the all-pervading one presence of life. If the sense consciousness thinks itself into something separate from God perfection, then that condition is established unto it for what the sense consciousness thinks into its world the world returns to it. When one lets an idea of imperfection or separation from God occupy his attention and therefore his mind, a condition corresponding to that begins to express itself in the body and world. This causes the person to feel himself an entity apart from his source. The moment he thinks himself separated from God, he thinks his life, intelligence, and power has beginning and end. Life has always been, is now, and always will be. No one can really destroy life. So I'm sharing these two things because what Joel had this realization that came into his awareness that thought is not power. And so I thought that this could be a helpful conversation for us based on what we've been talking about with St. Germain and visualization. So thought is not power. The only power there is, is love, which is God. That is the only power there is. Thought is not power. However, the power of love, the power of God, uses thought to make things manifest. And this is what St. Germain is saying here, thought is the only thing in the universe that can create vibration, and through vibration you qualify this ever-flowing energy with whatever you desire to have manifest in your life and world. So this is why we put so much attention on shifting our thinking. And... What's important to understand is no matter how correct our thinking is, if we don't hold in our heart that communion with our God self, with the presence, if we're not practicing the presence, we are not going to experience that constant refreshment and renewal. 
And the thing is, is that whatever we hold truly, dearly in our heart doesn't need to have a thought to express it in order to be made manifest. So... I'm going to pause there and I'm going to unmute everyone <coughs> and see if anybody would like to share anything, ask anything at all. So here we go. Prepare to be unmuted. All right. Anybody like to even just say hello? Hello, it's Allison. Hi. Hey, Allison. Hey, everyone. It's Peter. Hey, Peter. Hi. Anybody else? All right. Maybe people are self-muted and cannot speak. All right. Any any thoughts? Any questions? Well, they they seem to be, on the face of it, sort of unreconcilable perspectives. Yet, I think with just a, a little bit of reflection, there they're both saying the same thing in a certain way. There is there is nothing other than the love of God, which is all that there is. Mm-hmm. Yet, and humanity has been oftentimes described as a thought in the mind of God. And on a, in my experience, Experience in my personal experience, that which that energy within that has that leads me or guides me to my God self begins with thought. The thought begins the process of my inner journey to the heart of God that I embody. That makes any sense whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Okay. You know, I think that thought in the sense of trying to think your way to enlightenment or think your way to joy and happiness or to peace is not the vehicle that will take us there. Thinking, thought as in thinking, as in 
let me analyze my way out of this problem as though we're nothing other than a Rubik's Cube to be reconstructed in just a perfect way. Uh, but thought, in the sense of putting to words the feeling of inner knowing, then this is this is our our friend and ally, our tool that we carry with like a walking stick on a path. And the path takes us to our sacredness, our inner our sacred heart, our God self, the love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kapish. Beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, another uh, analogy comes, and that is that the, we could say that perhaps thought is like a light bulb. Mm-hmm. So you turn on a light physical light in your room, it lights the room. And yet, does the light bulb have any power? It doesn't. Because it has it has no volition. Right? And it, it, meaning it, it has no ability to say I'm going to light up this room. Mm. I have the power to light this room. I'm going to light this room. So thoughts are, in in um, the science of mind teaching, we say thoughts are things. Thoughts are things. So there are, thoughts are tools. And I often... Uh, you know, I, I may have mentioned at some point, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier this year somewhere, that when I was nine years old, I fell in love with uh, Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, his movie. And I started to read Romeo and Juliet. And um, one of my favorite speeches is from the prince in the beginning who interrupts the fight between the young Capulets and the young Montagues in the town. And he comes in with his men and he says, throw your mistempered weapons to the ground. And that that line always resonates in my mind to this day. And it is, that's what I, when I think of negative thoughts, I think of them as mistempered weapons. And so, literally, the thought that comes into my mind frequently when I hear angry words, I think, throw your mistempered weapons to the ground. Like, just get them out of your hands. You can't use them. You know, get rid of them. And so, I I think that both uh, Joel and um, Master St. Germain are actually saying the same thing. So Joel is saying that thoughts have no power. Okay. 
This is the realization that came to him. Thoughts have no power. So thoughts actually don't have power. We have to think them in order for them to have any result. We have to shine the light of our awareness into them in order for them to become manifest in the world. And still, this world is an illusion. So what he is saying is only the realization of God can bring harmony into a situation. It's not the form of prayer that brings the miracle of grace that appears as healing. It is not the truth that a person knows and holds in their mind. It is the spirit that becomes active in consciousness. So this this is just a finer distinction, and I think that what Master St. Germain is saying is the same thing, that um, the individual's need for meditation upon communion with the light of God within himself, pure life essence, will not only give and sustain eternal youth and beauty in the body, but will enable you to maintain perfect balance between your God self and the outer or personal self. So to me what they're both saying is it's that realization of God that is the whole enchilada, if you will. And um, so in the teachings of Science of Mind uh, with Ernest Holmes, my favorite quote from him is the only time that it takes he says, there is no time in healing. The only time that it takes to have a healing is the time that it takes to have a realization. So Ernest and Joel are using that same word, realization. And they probably both got it down on a trickle down from Mary Baker Eddy. Um, because Mary Baker Eddy... Um, well, Joel Goldsmith was a Christian science practitioner and Mary Baker Eddy um, founded and created science of uh, Christian science. And then Ernest Holmes was taught by Mary Baker Eddy's number one disciple, so Emma Curtis Hopkins. So... Um, not to get too intellectual all about this, but some people like to know, you know, how did these thoughts come into our awareness? You know, who started talking about this? And I'm I'm one of those people. <laughs> and um so I I love the history of our waking up. It's it feels so alive to me. And um and that these people's writings feel so alive to me. So because their consciousness never dies and it's the all one consciousness. So the invitation here, as St. Germain is talking about having a vision for your life and calling things into creation, what I'm interested in, in talking about today is coming back into this is a heart realization that we're going for. It's not, it's because manifesting things in the world. I think it's really, really valuable for us to recognize the power. 
I was going to say the power of our word um, in the in the world um, that we are imbu- taking the power of God and like the electricity flowing into the light bulb, we're flowing the power of God into that word to become manifest. So nothing becomes manifest in this world without the thought behind it. Nothing. And as St. Germain, we we talked about maybe a month ago, every thought <clears throat> contains a picture. Whether we recognize or not, it contains a picture. So this is why I like this descriptor of our awareness is this light that we shine through that thought, through that picture to be made manifest in our world. And manifest can be, in in, in the manifest world of form, is our feelings, our physical body, our emotional body, our mental body, as well as the physical world. So, uh, as we're demonstrating and learning and, and recognizing the power that of God that lies within us, we become very aware of our thoughts and not that they have the power to create, but when we put our power in them, then they can become manifest and demonstrate in this world. Is that clear? Is that Anybody have a thought or a question about that? Not clear? It's clear. Thank you, Allison. Yeah, I think it's clear. I mean, I just think, I'm just going to say something really quick. I mean, my experience around the thought and the, um, and I, too, love the history of things, and I love to know where they came from, so I do appreciate that. Um, because sometimes I wonder, like, well, who said that? And, like, how do we know that's true? <laughs> you know, like, I, the doubt mm-hmm. is coming. For me, it's this whole process that has kind of um, built up to this moment has been my thoughts catapulted um, suffering a bit or a lot, or whatever, to the point that something had to change. And Mm -hmm. so this process has been, first it was all about thoughts and all about what I was thinking and all about changing those thoughts and just being, which led to an awareness of the thought, not so much the thought having power, but just the awareness of the thought, which then led to being more connected with the higher consciousness, the I am present, which once I got into that, the thoughts were less important, even if they were out there or negative or whatever, that I wouldn't put any attention on them because I was more interested in the commune with God. Mm. So that's how I understand this. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And have you noticed that as you're doing this work now for several years, very consciously, that your thought patterns have really shifted? 
tremendously, tremendously. So what are some things, Allison, that when you were taking Finding Freedom were you were really noticing that you were struggling with a particular pattern of thought? My pattern but again, repetitive is that um, I don't get it. I'm not good enough. I'm not. Um, I'm I'm damaged goods. Like you know, some of that terminal uniqueness. Some of the um, just. I didn't get that I was, and it wasn't a pitiful, pitiful me party. Sometimes it was. I could get into those too, but it became this. Um, I never thought for one second that what I was feeling and what I was reacting to could possibly be that I was so sensitive to the love of God that anything that was not in that realm would affect me. I didn't know how to understand that. And Mm. never, I think, I didn't get that I was worthy of that. And I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. What has shifted so much for me is that, oh, my God, like like I can say dear one and loved one and, you know, like I, where before, no, 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 no. I could say it, but it was, it was like not uh, comfortable. It was awkward. But now I can say it because I know that there's so much more and it's, it's my heart that's open. And when my heart is open, it's, it's open to everyone, including myself, because we're one in that consciousness. And when I'm there, it's so magnificent that those thoughts don't even, that's where my thought patterns have changed altogether. Yes. Yes. You know, Allison, um, Lately, I've been thinking quite a lot about highly sensitive people. And um, because I know so many of them. And I sometimes say I'm a highly sensitive person who isn't delicate. Because most of the highly sensitive people I know are extremely delicate in their physical body. And interestingly enough, a lot of the highly sensitive people who are delicate in their physical body become very abusive to their bodies. It's almost like their physical, their not, it starts really with just their energetic sensitivity, um, and, and attunement to the presence that and and they're thinking negative thoughts or they're thrust into a family or a situation where there's a lot of discord and disharmony and that vibration because they're so sensitive to it it becomes just like nails on a chalkboard all the time and so they're looking for ways to um escape that experience and so they go into um ways to shut their feelings down by um, self-medication with the body, things like that, uh, and then, you know, it it becomes so destructive, they can't stand it. So then they start to realize, oh, I have to 
really treat my body with utmost care and sensitivity. And then they start the journey towards doing the same thing with the mind. I've seen a lot of that. Well, that was my experience. As you, I mean, there's nobody else. I mean, I'm certainly not hiding the fact that I was a drug addict from hell for many years. And you know why? Because, you know, for me, it was when I took those drugs, it was like, shoom, as we talk about vibration or whatever, I was vibrating high and not in a, I'm not being uh, funny when I say that or, or sarcastic. It truly did lead me to, but I was, you know, that kind of stealing my feel goods and that, and it turns on you, obviously, and it becomes... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, awful. But that very the drug was the very thing that made me know that that attainment of like, wow, this is what my you know I loved everybody in that moment, and I it was just a, and I think that's why I react you know addicts or whatever you know it, we react sensitively. People often do that because you get this feeling that not everyone gets when they take their first whatever. So that's been my experience, and yeah, and then it it turned on me, and and I have now found that same magnificent oneness. It's it's even 20 million times better because it's authentic, and I did it through Mm -hmm. another vehicle. Mm -hmm. So that's certainly true. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. No problem. Thank you. Anybody else want to comment? Anybody else relate to this? Karen has, Karen Carruthers has written some things in and uh they're they're uh, uh at least when they le- uh Karen and Rich left for the Camino and Europe in the Camino they um said they w- would be listening to the podcast so I'm going to answer these questions and we can talk about them I also would like to just make a couple of announcements or uh see if anybody has any feedback a uh, couple of people have told me that it's very challenging for them or impossible for them to join us at this time. So what I am thinking of is to do our year three class on Wednesdays at the same time that I usually do year one and year two, which is the 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. I think it would be 7 o'clock your time there, Allison. So I'm hoping that, um, uh, you know, uh, it will serve more people if we do that. And uh, does anybody have any thoughts or comments about that? I love it because I'm off on Wednesdays and I would love that. Yeah, I mean, it's fine with me. Um, I'm normally more present earlier in the day, but I'm I'm uh, I'm in favor of there being, you know, of it being uh, helpful for others to be part of, you know, the live the live group. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. 
so we'll start that next week. Now what's going to happen is we're going to be coming in right on the end of the community call because right. there's the year three right. and two right. combined right. community call um, at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. So we'll flow one to the other, and then the year two students can <clears throat> drop off of the community call as they normally do, and uh, year three students who've been joining that call can stay on, and uh, maybe some more year three students will come to that call. And uh, Wednesday night will be our night for a while. Uh, the other announcement I'd like to make is um, I'm going to put out an email. Uh, I am, a, a number of people have asked me to create a ministerial program over the years. And what I am doing an exploration of, and Angela is assisting me, is an exploration of um, having the spiritual counseling program and a practitioner program, uh, which would be in a sense halfway to a ministerial pro uh, licensing and then a, a ministerial program. So spiritual counseling program, uh, as you know, I've already offered that. So training and certifying people to do spiritual counseling. The, the practitioner program uh, would be sort of, a, like I said, halfway to completing a ministerial program for people who would like to go deeper in their studies uh, as a practitioner. And it's more really about saying, okay, I'm committing to doing a certain level of work for certification or licensing and then ministerial licensing for people who would like to have that uh, license to either start their own spiritual community, to um, perform weddings and things like that, though pretty much anybody could perform a wedding and get get licensed to be a, a minister and do that with without much effort. Um, and um, so... And part of the reason is is because I do feel that there are people all over the world who are called to do this work and who would like um, these licenses and certification and support. So it's about growing the power of love ministry to, it's still a teaching ministry, but we may ultimately even have some kind of centers in major cities. Uh, but to support people who would like to move more into these professions and people particularly who are interested in doing this, the work that I do, which is uh, the study of A Course in Miracles and New Thought and working with the company of heaven. So because there are certainly many uh, New Thought programs that the Centers for Spiritual Living and the, uh, the um, Unity, where people can become practitioners and ministers there. And um, now there are ministerial programs for Course in Miracles people. And then there's like John Mundy has the program for um, interfaith ministry. Um, and 
the difference that the programs I'm interested in bringing forth are, or I feel called to bring forth, are that these programs are deeply purifying and cleansing. And so it's not an intellectual pursuit, although obviously we are talking about these teachings and sometimes it can seem very intellectual, kind of like we were talking about today about the nature of thought. But um, so to this end, what I'm looking at doing is creating in each of the classes, um, still having the Finding Freedom and the year one and year two and year three, but creating modules within the years. And so people could take modules or not take modules. Um, so, for instance, uh, as part of the ministerial program, I would do classes in the world's religions uh, because that's very helpful for ministers to not be ignorant of you know the difference between Islam and Buddhism and Christianity and these kinds of things. But for many students, that might not be at all interesting. It might feel too intellectual. So um, being able to also offer the different modules either for credit towards the program or not. Because one of the things I notice in Masterful Living is some people uh, don't just um, pretty much listen to the classes. And I don't really have a sense of whether or not they're doing any work at all. Like uh, Rich and Karen, until I spoke to them at the end of the first year, I had no idea what was happening with them because they didn't participate in community calls, classes, or the Facebook group. I had no idea anything about them until I spoke to them in December of that first year, So, which is fine if that's what people would like to do. So having two tracks, one where people are doing it for credit and uh, where they're going to do the work and that there will be assignments that people turn in and um, more uh, interaction with me and where I would also be having um, assistant teachers and people who are also supporting the folks who are doing things for credit. And so uh, just looking at this expansion. Right now, I'm not planning to do Living a Course in Miracles anytime soon. I'm going to oh. do, um, yeah, I'm going to do another series, uh, different series that I've been yearning to do uh, for years now called Stop Playing Small to really specifically work with the, the light workers who are feeling called but they're very resistant and reluctant to answer the call and um, support more mm -hmm. of those people because um, I just noticed that a lot, a, a lot of Course in Miracles students come to the Living in Course in Miracles classes, um, but a very small percentage of people are really talking to me about how can I do more of this work? How can mm -hmm. I do more of the purification? How can I really practice mm -hmm. this more deeply? Mm -hmm. It's just a small percentage. And I can feel in my my belly that there are a lot more people out there who are mm -hmm. saying, 
I want to do this work. I want to be in community with this work. You know, I'm, I live somewhere where I don't have any spiritual friends. And so um, that's mm-hmm. that's the call I feel uh, I'm answering. So. Um, that sounds very exciting, Jennifer. Yeah, yeah, I am you know? excited about it. Yeah, great stuff. Me too, because I have been calling you and calling you and calling you to answer that call. <laughs> I know you have. I know you have. Well, and you know, it, it it takes a village. It really takes a village. And one of the things about having an online ministry is, for instance, you know, I um, I I've been a part of the Agape community for 20 years and uh, more than 20 years. And so, uh, for instance, when I was in the practitioner training, uh, the first year I was in the practitioner training, I um, they made an announcement that people were going to be required. They have three trimesters in in uh, the practitioner training. It's a two-year program. And, um, well, in between the two years, they have a summer internship. So in those years... Um, the first year that I was in practitioner training, they changed the program and they made an announcement that now in the program, in addition to the coursework um, and the, they were going to require 10 hours per term of um, service in uh, internship in uh, one of the ministries. And it was interesting because my prayer partner at the time said, oh, man, they should have told us that before we enrolled in this program. You know, this is like, they're just telling this on the first day of the program. What? That's not right, you know. Gee, 10 hours? And I just thought to myself, wow, if I cut back my service work to 10 hours a week, that would be huge because I was doing like 15 to 20 hours a week of service um, at that time. And so what I notice is with an online ministry, people don't volunteer. So, um, and a lot, and you'd be surprised how many angry emails I get that people don't get free downloads of the Living a Course in Miracles classes. Um that if they they like to have the downloads, they have to pay, you know, to me, $87 for 17 classes is pretty good. So, but, um, and, and when I took classes at Agape, there were no free classes. There were no free classes. You, you know, the teachers were paid and the rent was paid and the lights were paid, but people get really mad at me. Like people will say, well, I'd like to take Finding Freedom, but I'm only going to pay you this much for it. I'm like, okay. That sounds deeply spiritual. Um, it's like, I'm sorry, do you want me to affirm your lack and limitation? Is that what you're asking me to do here? I don't understand. So it's interesting how people show up and teach me all the time of where there's clearing that can happen in the mind. And so I'm, I've 
decided that I actually, since people are not coming to me to volunteer, I'm going to put out a call for volunteers to help um, also just get input on creating these programs. What would you like? Even if you don't feel called to participate, based on what you know of participating in Masterful Living, what would you be interested in? So I'm going to put out that call so that we can have some um discussions outside of class because I, I don't really wish to take class time for it but um, I wanted to let you know these things are coming and um, not everybody reads the emails so and not everybody participates in the Facebook group so I, I wanted to share a little bit in class about what's coming and I hope that you'll consider to volunteer and put your input in either in writing or to join in on a discussion. All right. Well, does anybody have anything they want to say or share before I go to Karen's question? I was going to say that it must, I was, I was just reflecting that it must be, you were talking about Rich and Karen and having no idea really who they were, let's say, other than, you know, they, they take your class. Mm-hmm. And I was just reflecting that that must be, Really interesting on your end with the various uh, students, some of whom you know and some of whom you, you might know less, mm-hmm. uh, and really not having a um, because you're not prayer part. You're not. You're not. You know. You're not mm-hmm. anyone's prayer partner. Particularly, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're our, you're our teacher, um, and so yeah, it's just you know, there's no real end game here other than it must be oftentimes a little challenging for you to wonder where's everyone at? You know, where are they where are they taking this work? Are they uh, are they processing it or are they taking it in? Where is it moving them? You know, how's it how's it changing their lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I was just reflecting on that for you, you know. It's not uh it must be challenging, I suppose. Yeah, there's a lot of what they call lurkers. <laughs> yeah, I know lurking. <laughs> <laughs> Not with you, but I know lurking. Uh-huh. And that's okay. You know, I feel grateful, honestly, that people, um, they're they're doing it the way it works for them. I had Moira, who's in year two, share in the year one class uh, last week, and she shared very authentically about how she took year one three times. And the first two years, all she did was listen to the classes. And it wasn't until the third time she took it that she began to participate with prayer partners and share in the community calls and classes. And, you know, she would be in year three with you now if... um, Yeah, she just moved with the flow, but that mm -hmm. wasn't her flow. It was not her flow. Her, her flow was was a very different schedule. Yeah, and it and it wouldn't be have been my flow either. You know, I think for me, as I've shared many times, one of the things I like so much about my work is I review the same things over and over and over again. It never gets tiresome for me ever. Mm-hmm. I often wonder, well, when is this 
going to become boring to you. You've, you know, but it it doesn't. It's fresh and it's alive all the time, and um, so I also would what, like. That's what we do in our own personal lives and our own in our own conscious development. We are all individually reviewing, you know, because we all know in our mind how we desire to feel. And we're always reminding ourselves when we're doing things that are in opposition to that. So we're individually repeating our own personal life lessons there as well. Yes. Yes, indeed. So I mean, I, the court the court spends an entire volume repeating really one thought. <laughs> Let go. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, I apologize. I did interrupt. No. It's right there. Yeah. No, I'm glad you did. I I love your your passion. <clears throat> So I also, I, I really would like to support people, for instance, who would like to come into a year two and do deeper work, but who aren't working with the sacred flames and aren't interested. You know, we're all just, we all come in with different karma and a different experience. And so I'm I'm interested in modifying things to support more people more fully is what I'm interested in. All right, so supporting Karen here with her her sharing. She writes, recently I've been told that I'm too joyful, though I've had private moments of deep despair and hopelessness. I've also been told by an angry friend who never gets angry, but is deeply upset by some circumstances in her life, that I have a perfect life, a perfect family, perfect grandchildren, perfect health, the ability to travel and so on, but not everyone is so blessed. She was wanting me to take sides with her in condemning someone in her family. I just didn't know what to say as in that moment, all I was thinking was to pray for everyone involved. That what I ended up saying, that I would pray for them all, but that I was and am working on being non-judgmental in my own life. This incensed her more. Finally, my mm. daughter recently told me that I was too joyful, like the character Joy in the movie Inside Out. She wanted me to say that life sucks. Again, I think I appeared without compassion when I said that I'm practicing on finding peace and joy moment by moment. These responses on my part clearly do not pace where my daughter and my friend are at. Question, has anyone else had this experience and how have they responded? So anyone else had this experience, how have you responded? I have had that experience. I continually have that experience. And I must say, first of all, Karen is got a lot of courage. And she's brave to speak her truth mm-hmm. and not engage just to, be, you know, not to, just to not have that conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I, 
I engage or I just don't say anything. I, I rarely engage anymore in the negativity. I just don't say anything, which, you know, is not – I would like to speak my truth as Karen does, and I have on occasion, and I get looked like like I have three heads. And mm-hmm. um, like I don't even know what, like what are you even saying? You know, not judgmental, or you don't have a you know like people don't believe that you don't have a position. So yeah, um, that's been my experience, and and I have not, uh, I have not, and I would love to hear more because I have not found a way to navigate this and stand in my truth. And I'm not going to beat myself. I say it's not, I'm not courageous, but there is a part of me that is, you know, not stepping up. So, love that question, Karen. Love you. <laughs> Anybody else? Well, I've certainly had uh, many, many experiences with this, and uh, I remember a long time ago, I went to visit uh, a woman whose name is Karen, (laughs) who had been my best friend uh, when I was in high school and in college. And uh, best, 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 best friend. And we lived together for five years. And um, I went to visit her at some point years after having uh, lived with her. And she had, well, she was married and she had children at that point. And, um, in our, I used to make her laugh all the time. And in, in our conversations, she said to me, she said, you know, you're not as funny as you used to be. You used to be so funny. I said, yeah, well, I used to be very sarcastic. And I used to say mean things all the time. And, uh, to get a laugh. And, uh, and now I just I don't even want to think those thoughts. I'm I'm looking to eliminate them. And she was like, Yeah, yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. And she was missing her friend that made her laugh all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I understood that. Mm-hmm. And I also like I just didn't want to do that. That that was it wasn't joyful to me anymore. Every now and then I'll say something that's kind of sarcastic, and I just like, oof! I'm so glad I I don't live in that space anymore. And um, I honestly can say that there are very few people in my life anymore who want me to agree with them that life sucks very few people mm-hmm. that the people in my life who were very close friends who would, that's how we used to approach things. They've all kind of filtered away or they too have shifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, that's how it's been. They've either gone one way or the other. They've risen in their desire to be loving as I have, or they just, we just don't, 
connect anymore. And the love that I have for them is still there. And so the thing is that people who are complaining and want us to agree that things are bad and wrong, they're thinking that they will feel better if we agree with them. But the truth we know is that they won't. They won't. And so the thing for us not to do is, which I used to do all the time, was I used to go into that spiritualized version of the ego that was teaching the truth but not living it. And so I wasn't compassionate, but I was saying, well, you know, we don't want to energize that because that's just going to create more negativity. And so I was a spiritual know-it-all without Mm -hmm. compassion. And so the thing is, is really to be so mindful about not making anyone wrong about how they feel, because nobody's feelings are ever wrong. Nobody's feelings are ever, ever wrong. But their thinking can be, of course, false. They can be believing things that aren't true. And then they're feeling upset because they're thinking things that aren't true. But their feelings are never wrong. Their feelings are always a true indicator of what they believe. So we can validate people's feelings without making their thinking wrong. And so uh, that's why I've learned to say to people, Oh, honey. Oh, wow. Yeah, and to actually a lot of times refrain from comment, mm-hmm. but yeah. just just to have compassion for how they're feeling, and to actually ask them questions like, "So then, what happened?" and help them process it. So you might remember that back in May. I did a class for year one. Someone had asked me, <clears throat> how can you help children who are upset? And so I talked about, and I, went, I did a whole long thing on it. I don't remember what week that was, maybe somewhere in the middle of May. And um, I noticed sometimes the descriptions of the classes that I put in the podcast kind of disappear So uh, one of the things I'm looking to get help with is putting those back in. And, um, uh, but um, one of the things that can really help people process their feelings, and this is a technique that I use sometimes in counseling, where, and I also sometimes use it in a regressive way, where I take people back to a point in their life. Sometimes it, they don't even know, and we discover it, where there was a trauma that's never been healed, uh, an emotional trauma, and sometimes things are seem like they're stuck in the body or in the emotional body uh, or in the mental body, and they can be processed out. And um, this is why psychology was called the talking cure, is because people would process Mm -hmm. their feelings. But it's processing it in a very um, high consciousness environment. So the the, um, processing is from a place of 
So wait a minute, what is it that happened? And you say, well, if it, especially if it's an event or something was triggered by an event, you could say, well, wait a minute, how did this start? And um, uh, and I've done this with people of all ages. So you could say, let's go back to the beginning. Let's, wh where were you? What happened? How were you feeling? Um, and um, uh, Peter, you're moving around a lot, and we hear all well, that noise. Very, so, you know, very sensitive mic. Sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's okay. Um, so, um, so, and and asking them to tell about it and to uh, say, okay, so what happened? How did it start? How were you feeling before it started? And uh, so, and just keep saying, well, then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? And uh, so that they are telling you their version of it. So you can bear witness to the feelings that they have and their interpretation of their experience, the meaning that they made of it, and also to be aware of any decisions that they made based on their experience. Because as we all know, we're never upset for the reason we think. We're upset because the meaning we made. We're upset because of the decisions that we made about ourselves, about life, about relationship. And so when people are really upset, for instance, you know, oh, I'm really upset because this person did this and said that, which means that they don't really understand me. They don't really love me. Therefore, I must be unlovable. And so if we're listening from the high watch, from the high consciousness of love and compassion and knowing the truth, then we can actually without trying to change them or even change their mind or think that their feelings are wrong or bad, just be that compassionate listener. Wait a minute. What did they say? Oh, and and so when they said that, you felt it, it must mean that they don't really love you. Right, right. Yeah, they don't really love me. And there's nothing that they do that says that they do love you. Well, that they do stuff that says they love me, but that doesn't matter. This is the real truth of it here. Oh, so even just like planting a seed that, hmm, is the interpretation, is the meaning that you're making of it actually correct? Is it what's happening? Or do you want to somehow be validated that you're unlovable? Is that what you're looking for? Because that's your belief. So you're looking for evidence to support that. But see, we have to do it without thinking they're wrong or bad or stupid or that they need our help. Because they don't. The presence of the infinite loving God is within them. So the main thing is for us to know in our heart and our mind that where they are, the perfection is. So if we say, you know, geez, I really don't 
want to join in your condemnation or I'm learning to practice non-judgment. It, it can upset people. So sometimes um, we can say it <clears throat> like this, you know, I love you so much and your feelings are so important to me and I get that you're really upset and this is really hurtful to you and um and I get that you really want me to agree and 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 go into judgment with you on these things and um gosh I am feeling challenged because I know from all the work I'm doing in my class I'm looking to eliminate all judgments in my mind so I'm feeling really like torn here between how do I let you know I love you and I care for you and I have so much compassion for what you're going through and I don't want to agree with judgment I just don't even know what to do right now It, it can be that, just being authentic yourself and saying that and saying, because I sure don't want to make you wrong for being so upset. I have so much compassion for your upset. And uh, I feel like I know how you feel, and I've been upset like that too. So sometimes just saying those kinds of things can help. But then the other thing is this. It may take a while, and it may never happen in this lifetime, but ultimately, people will come around and be grateful that you, by your very countenance, by your very way of being in the world, you are demonstrating the path of joy and happiness. So the very fact that people in your life, Karen, are saying, I see you as more and more happy, more and more joyful, like your life is getting better and better, and mine's not, and I'm envious. I'm jealous, and I'm angry and upset, and I want to bring you down to my level. The very fact that people are saying that, they are learning from what you're teaching by what you're not saying. And so the main thing is just to let them know you love them. You love them. That's the main thing. It's just that. And to not make them wrong and just say, I get it. I can understand that. Can you understand that I actually don't like complaining and judging and I do not believe that life sucks and as much as I love you, I don't want to be fake with you to make you happy. That just feels like the worst thing I could do. So being as authentic as you possibly can. And, you know, the thing is, is when we're doing this work, we're coming out from among them. And that takes um, what some people would say, Venerable says it all the time, it takes courage. But honestly, like, gosh, there were so many times when I went to my parents to complain and I um, was uh, um, 
thinking that they would give me advice if they had any, and they um, just they listened to my complaints, and they never said anything. And then a year later, that I would have experienced something really painful, and they would say to me. Yeah, I wondered why you were doing that. That just seemed like that was going to be uh, a really painful experience. And I'd look at them and I'd think, really? I talked about it so much with you. Why didn't you ever say to me, you know, that might not be a good idea. And they were like, well, we never tell you what to do. And I'd say, well, you can tell people what you think without telling them what to do. You know, I do it all the time. <laughs> and um, so uh, I just think being honest, as long as we're not in the ego mindset of judging, being honest really works. And uh, I, I think I've shared with you all that one really life-changing conversation I had with my brother where he was trying to get me to either disagree or agree with him about his judgments. And I said, you know, Mike, all I can think of in return to what you're saying is more judgments and opinions, and I just don't want to energize any of that because I don't want to start fighting with you and arguing with you. I'm enjoying just being with you, and I'd like to keep that going. And I really felt like he looked at me like, who are you? I don't know this person. And um, But he said, yeah, I can understand that. So it's just a very fine line between not making them wrong and having compassion for them without agreeing with them. And we have to learn that. And if we call upon the company of heaven, and the master teachers, Jesus, Master Kitumi, Master Saint Germain, they will, you can say, speak through me right now. I have no idea what to say. And it'll come. It'll come. It's going back to that communion that Saint Germain and Joel Goldsmith were talking about. So let's see. There's a little bit more here Karen has. Uh, she says, also a follow-up question um, from Rich. What meaning does do I give or do we give uh, infinite patience immediate results? Okay, so when we have infinite patience, we're relaxing into the eternal now. We're not in judgment. As soon as we release the judgment, then the insight, the clarity, the perfection reveals itself in our mind if we're willing for it to be there. So that's why it brings immediate results. Infinite patience is the release of all judgment that it should be different. So that's why it brings immediate results. And um, he says, we paused our packing to join friends who wanted to see the movie The War Room yesterday. It was stunning, and I'm recommending it to to everyone. Then, uh, and he'd like to know our comments on that movie, The War Room. So living in a, a place with basically no movie theaters and stuff like that, I don't know anything about it. I'll have to do some research. Has anybody seen The War Room? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to close this out with a prayer. Does anybody have any final comments? 
Jennifer, I just have a quick, and this may not be quick, and you can just say we can't discuss this right now, but um, what are your thoughts about 28? Yeah, I haven't really thought about it. I definitely, I, I haven't really read what a lot of people are saying. Uh, however, I can definitely feel the energy is building tremendously. And uh, I myself have been doing um, ascension ceremony every day. And um, I encourage everyone to work with the resurrection flame and the ascension flame and the violet flame very as much as you feel called to. I've been going to the resurrection temple at night. That's where I've been feel to call to go in my um, dream time. But um, yeah, it's 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 happening. It's happening, but I, 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 I've read very little uh, or know very little about what anyone else is saying, so I don't know what people are saying. But we do. What's happening on the twenty eighth, Allison? What's your understanding of what's happening on the twenty eighth? Okay, well, this is just my understanding, so take it with a grain of salt. So, um, my understanding is that. On the 28th, we'll have more gamma energy than ever before in the entire existence of the universe. And uh, the gamma rays will ascend people to the fifth dimension. And we will have the ability to still be, live and you know, like nothing majorly is going to shift or, you know, however it is majorly going to shift because those of us, that are open to the fifth dimension will be able to get to that fifth dimension anytime and live in that fifth dimension and still be in the world. And I know that's not a really eloquent way of explaining it, but that's kind of how, that's about all I know about it. Okay, thank you. I will put um, Patricia Cota Robles sent an email out yesterday that I haven't had a chance to read. It's um, her, she does usually like a once a month blog and talks about these kinds of things. Um, so her, you can go read it at eraofpeace.org and uh, maybe somebody will also put that into our Facebook group for others to read. Or I will later today so today's our equinox so major shifting today uh, as we spiral upward um, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to uh, play a song for us alright so let's take that breath of love and gratitude together right here and right now we're partnering up with the company of heaven and all that is holy our higher holy spirit self to know the divinity of all life our divinity we're grateful and thankful to open our hearts and minds to ascend in our awareness to know ourselves as fifth dimensional beings we are grateful and thankful to call forth everything that is necessary for our awakening we're accepting it and receiving it gratefully and we're sharing the benefits with everyone in joy in gratitude we allow our healing and we let it be and so it is amen 
Amen, amen. And the song that I am going to play, I played last week in uh, the year one class. It's a favorite song of mine. It's called Labor in Vain. It is a live version of the song, and it's written by Ricky Byers Beckwith and Michael Beckwith. And this version is a performance that was on a double CD set called Spirit Says to Sing. I was actually there in the audience that night. I hadn't joined the choir yet when they were singing this song. I always love singing this song with the choir. And uh, the two lead vocals are Ricky Byers Beckwith and um, Brenda Lee Ager. And uh, there's a video that I posted in the year one group um, of Brenda singing it with somebody else, not Ricky. And it's also good, but this, I think, is a little better. But I, Ricky wrote the song. I love the way she sings. I love her voice. So it's like mother's milk to me, even though she has a very deep alto voice. Um, so Labor in Vain. It has some of my favorite lyrics, too. Uh, God's love... Uh, is so powerful and this is a beautiful testimony to it so enjoy he built a house on sinking sand there was no way the house could ever stand and when the rain came down Hold things together Finally cried I labored in vain Except the Lord Build the house He that labors He that labors Labors Of getting those things she thought were the best. She found she had nothing, oh, but grains of seed that slipped through her fingers like time in an hourglass. She
In vain, 